The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. She's got the news. She talks with newsmakers. She encourages us to laugh. And she cries with us. Speaking truth to power and questioning authority daily, it's the Nicole Sandler Show. <sighs> Welcome to a Monday, everybody. Brand new week and the first full week with a new administration. And it's actually not the new administration I'm so joyous about. It's the fact that the old administration is gone. <sighs> and with each day, I feel like I can <sighs> breathe a little easier. And uh, if you tuned in early, if you're uh, watching on one of the video streams or you happen to see a tweet or a post um, or you saw the graphic that I, I put up for today's show, I put up a, a show card, sort of a graphic for each day's show. Um, with with a, a graphic that I hope is somewhat representative of the day. And today, you see the two first dogs. Ah, there's Champ and there's Major. And um, the reason they're up there today is because they have arrived. Over the weekend, Champ and Major showed up at the White House, their new home for at least the next four years. Um, and I'm excited because... Every home deserves a dog, and every White House should have an animal, right? And, and I get some people are cat people, and that's okay, too. Whatever your pet is, but these furry creatures do so much for us, and it just figures that Donald Trump is not an animal person. You know, I find dogs are a better judge of character than many people, and if a dog trusts someone immediately, I know they're okay. If a dog is a little unsure then i i'm gonna i'm gonna you know i'm gonna put up some tests uh, because i trust the dog's judgment um so major major is a champ was the first they're both german shepherds apparently joe got champ for jill uh when joe biden became vice president so champ is getting up there and um sometime in the last year uh, Joe Biden went to the Delaware Humane Society and uh, adopted Major. Major is the first shelter dog, rescue dog, to uh, be a first dog to to live in the White House. So they're there today. So I figured today we'll, we'll you know, um, I'm using that as sort of a jumping off point because we've got first dogs and we've got watchdogs. And watchdogs are very important in any democracy. Um, watchdog groups were very important during the Trump years, of course. And they're also important while Joe Biden is in office because we need to, you know, keep them honest. We need to know what's up. And uh, hopefully you were listening a month or two ago um, when um, Joe Biden was starting to put forth names for his cabinet picks. I guess it's more like a month ago than two because uh, the whole transition thing was kind of thwarted by um, Donald Trump's lies and and, um, you know, his insanity in keeping Joe Biden from 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 putting together a cabinet. So um, but I had Jeff Hauser on the program about a month ago. Jeff Hauser is the executive director of a group called the Revolving Door Project. It's a, a division of the Center for. Uh, Dean Baker's group, uh, Center for Economic Policy something, CEPR is um, the acronym. And I, I honestly don't. Center for Economic Policy Research, maybe something like that. Anyway, it, it very reputable uh, firm. Dean Baker is one of the few economists of whom I'm a fan. Usually I'm not a, you know, economist's and me don't really go together, but there's a handful of them that I like, and Dean Baker is one. And so Jeff Hauser and his group, the the this team at the the Revolving Door Project, really has has been on top of every single uh, cabinet pick, and then some. And there's breaking news today. There's a bunch of breaking news we're going to get to. But Jeff is going to join us again today. And originally, I I invited him on to talk about where we are with the cabinet. How, you know, from a from a progressive standpoint, point, because they are a progressive watchdog group, um, uh, you know, how are they feeling about the the cabinet that Biden has put together? But then um, 
So I emailed him this morning. He said, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to. We'll talk to you at 530. And then the other shoe dropped. Let me read the headline. The Supreme Court on Monday declined to hear a pair of emoluments lawsuits against former President Trump, ruling that the cases are moot now that he has left office. The two lawsuits filed by the group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, CREW, and the Attorneys General for Washington, D.C. and Maryland were part of a novel legal effort that alleged Trump violated the Constitution's emoluments clauses by continuing to own his own business empire while in office. And indeed, not only that, he profited, profited, ed, um, obscenely from his time in office. And I think for the um, uh, for the Supreme Court to say this is moot, uh, this is the first the first time we're seeing Trump's Supreme Court bend over backwards to save his ass. And that's not OK. So we'll talk to we'll talk to Jeff about that and uh, and some of the other um, uh, news from today. And there's a lot of it. In fact, one of the other things I want to ask him about is what is going on in the Senate um, Joe Biden was inaugurated, what, how many days ago? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, five days ago. Yeah, I do still count on my hands. I'm not very good at math. Um, and, you know, um, and then the day he was inaugurated was also the day that Senators Warnock and uh, Ossoff and, were sworn in, as was Padilla, but you know, he he is replacing another Padilla replaced Kamala Harris in the Senate in, from California. So that was an even switch. But um, Ossoff and Warnock replaced two Republican senators from the state of Georgia, making the um, the tally of Democratic senators to Republican senators 50 50. And because there is a new Democratic president and vice president, the vice president becomes the Senate president. She's the tiebreaker. Senate control goes to the party controlling the White House. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. So, but, but guess who's standing in the way? Of course, McTurtle McConnell, Mitch McConnell, who, um, you know, don't, don't, don't take his signaling that he'd like to be rid of Donald Trump to mean that he's come to his senses and he's all of a sudden going to be a, um, you know, a responsible, uh, reasonable Republican. Those uh, those three R's don't go together anymore. One of these things is not like the other. Um, that animal, I think, is extinct because what Mitch, Mitch McConnell has been doing is filibustering the Senate rules on moving the Senate forward. I've been trying to figure out how best to explain what is going on in the Senate. And thank you to Mike DeBonis and Sungmin Kim at The Washington Post, because at 1126 this morning, they posted a story that explains what's going on. And I'm just going to share it with you because they can explain it better than I can. <clears throat> so from The Washington Post today. When President Biden took office last week, he promised sweeping bipartisan legislation to solve the coronavirus pandemic, fix the economy and overhaul immigration. Just days later, the Senate ground to a halt with Democrats and Republicans unable to agree on even basic rules for how the evenly divided body should operate. Meanwhile, key Republicans have quickly signaled discomfort with or outright dismissal of the cornerstone of Biden's early legislative agenda, a $1.9 trillion pandemic relief plan that includes measures such as $1,400 stimulus checks that should be $2,000, vaccine distribution funding, and a $15 minimum wage. On top of that, senators are preparing for a wrenching second second impeachment trial for former President Trump set to begin February 9th, which could mire all other Senate business and further obliterate any hopes of cross party cooperation. This is written really weirdly. You know, I don't know why they don't just print the facts or they have to editorialize in the middle of it all, but whatever. I'll try to wade through the editorializing and give you the facts here. 
Uh, taken together, this gridlock could imperil uh, Biden's early entire entire early presidency, making it impossible for him to. This is such bullshit. This reality could force Democrats to choose within a matter of weeks whether they will continue to pursue the sort of bipartisan cooperation that Biden and many senators of both parties have preached or whether to pursue procedural shortcuts or rule changes that would sideline the GOP, but are also likely to divide the caucus. Uh All right, let's get past this beginning part. And get to this. Much of the current conflict over the Senate rules comes courtesy of Mitch McConnell. They got that part right. Who transitioned to minority leader Wednesday after six years as majority leader. Just hours after Biden's inauguration, moments after a smiling Chucky Schumer was first recognized as majority leader, McConnell pointedly noted on the Senate floor that the country elected a smaller House Democratic majority, an evenly split Senate, and a president who promised unity. The people intentionally entrusted both political sides with a significant power to shape our nation's direction. May we work together to honor that trust. Sorry, I'm not going to be doing my Trump anymore. I figured I'd try out a McConnell. Anyway, two days earlier, McConnell notified his Republican colleagues in the Senate that he would deliver Schumer a sharp ultimatum. Agree to preserve the legislative filibuster, the centerpiece of minority power in the Senate, or forget about any semblance of cooperation, starting with an agreement on the chamber's operating rules. Let me start. I'm interrupting here. This is me, Nicole, speaking again. Mitch McConnell never, ever, ever cooperated with the Democrats. You may recall, let's go back 12 years to when uh, Barack Obama was first inaugurated. And the very night of his inauguration, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan and a couple and a few of their other cronies had a little gathering at which they declared that Barack Obama would be a one-term president. And they, Mitch McConnell said his ultimate goal, his one driving force would not be to govern, not be to, you know, help the country get better, but to ensure that the Democrat just elected would only serve one term. And obviously he wasn't successful in that because he served two terms. But Mitch McConnell did everything in his power. And unfortunately, he had too much power. And he 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 kept Biden for uh, kept uh, Obama from pretty much doing Anything that he wanted to do, certainly in the second term. So he's doing the same shit again. Uh, the calcul- go back to the Washington Post article. The calculations for McConnell, according to Republicans, are simple. Not only is preserving the filibuster a matter that Republicans can unify around, it's something that potentially divides Democrats who are under enormous pressure to discard it to advance their governing agenda. Well, you know, the filibuster for back to me again. Sorry. Filibuster appears nowhere in the Constitution. It is a word that does not exist. It is totally a, a, a an invention of the people who came after the Constitution was written. Doesn't exist. Um, the Washington Post continues. The Senate filibuster has evolved over the course of its history into a de facto supermajority requirement, necessitating 60 votes to end debate and advance legislation. Rarely has one party held enough votes to defeat filibusters without at least some cross-aisle cooperation. The rule has been eroded over the past decade. And here, here's what happened during the Obama uh, and then the Trump years. After McConnell led a broad blockade of President Obama's nominees, Democrats under then-Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid in 2013 allowed executive appointees and lower court judges to be advanced with a simple majority vote. Again, the reason they did this is because McConnell would not allow any of Obama's nominees to get through. The only recourse they had was to say, then, fuck it. We're going to kill the filibuster for, for, for the president's appointees and nominees and lower court judges. It's the only way they were able to get anything done, because unlike the Democrats who do vote to confirm Republican appointees, the Republicans were firm. That's like it's tough. We're going to we're going to shut everything down. They get nothing. So then when um, uh, McConnell 
then eliminated the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees when when Democrats threatened to block the nomination of Neil Gorsuch in 2017. And then two years later, changed the rules to more quickly confirm presidential nominees. So McConnell did away with it the second the Democrats even hinted at blocking uh, any of his people. And by the way, Neil Gorsuch took the seat that Merrick Garland was supposed to be in, but Mitch McConnell wouldn't hold a hearing, wouldn't even hold any interviews with President Obama, then the sitting president's Supreme Court nominee when he still had 10 months left in his term. So the Democrats have eliminated the filibuster for certain uh, executive appointments and nominations when they had no other recourse. Mitch McConnell just does it because he can. So now McConnell and other Republicans last week reminded Democrats that many of them praised the filibuster in the past, particularly in the two year period, 2017 and 2018, when the Republicans controlled the House, the Senate and the White House. Yeah, they needed it It was the only thing that kept Donald Trump from exercising complete control over the country. But I'm sorry, you got the Grim Reaper there still trying to take everything down. So, um. Let's let's go to today. Um, now they are fighting over the the rules going forward when the, the Senate is split 50 50. Um, what's supposed to happen is, in this case, the Democrats control the White House. The Democrats control the Senate. And so on Inauguration Day, when the new senators were sworn in and it was 50 50, 51 for the Democrats with uh, Kamala Harris, Chuck uh, Schumer became Senate Majority Leader, but Mitch McConnell is filibustering the rules. Seriously. Um, Friday on the Senate floor, Chuck Schumer told Mitch McConnell that he could, so Mitch McConnell is saying, we want a guarantee from the Democrats that you're not going to mess with the legislative filibuster. And this is where the standoff is right now. So on Friday, Schumer went on the uh, floor and and told McConnell that he considered any guarantee surrounding the filibuster to be a, quote, extraneous demand departing from the arrangement that they worked out the last time there was a 50-50 Senate 20 years ago, 2001. What's fair is fair, Schumer said, noting that McConnell changed Senate rules twice as majority leader. Quote, Leader McConnell's proposal is unacceptable and it won't be is unacceptable and it won't be accepted. Chuck Schumer has such a way with words. You know, he's the one who talked about the uh, inciting an erection. And uh, McConnell's proposal is unacceptable and it won't be accepted. That That's good. Okay. Come on, man. Yeah. So, um... So uh, they did come to agreement on one thing. They delayed, they cut a deal on Friday, delaying Trump's impeachment trial by two weeks... And that's something that that Biden wanted anyway to give him a chance to get some progress on cabinet confirmations. Um, But there's no progress on structuring in the Senate, and it's still going on today. Listen to this. Without an organizing accord, Republicans remain in the majority of most Senate committees. Veteran Republican lawmakers such as Grassley of Iowa, Richard Shelby of Alabama, James Inhofe of Oklahoma continue as chairs of key panels, while veteran Democrats eager to seize the gavels and advance their long dormant agendas can only wait and wonder. That's because old Senate structures, which had Republicans controlling the committees, remain in place until Schumer and McConnell can reach a power sharing agreement. This is unbelievable. Newly sworn in Democratic senators cannot get committee assignments until an organizational deal is struck. Some committees, such as the Ethics Committee, are already evenly split between the two parties. In other cases, more Republicans than Democrats left the Senate at the end of 2020, giving Democrats the majority by default. Democrats cannot unilaterally impose an organizing agreement because they would need Republican support to block a filibuster. So Chuck, uh, so so Mitch McConnell is using the filibuster to block the Senate rules. He's filibustering to get an agreement that Schumer will leave the filibuster in place. Seriously, 
this is where we are. And they're screaming. They're screaming that, um, you know, uh, Biden says he wants unity. How is this unity? How is anything unity? Um, the questions I got to tell you. So so there was a press. Con- there were actually two press conferences today. There was the daily White House press briefing from Jen Psaki, the new uh, White House press secretary. And then Joe Biden himself took some questions. And you know who um, Fox, you know, with with the new administration, all the networks, all the cable channels, everybody, they they rejigger their, um, you know, their 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 lineups, their their correspondent lineups. So there's a new chief White House correspondent everywhere. For instance, uh, for NBC News, it's um, uh, Chris, Kirsten, Kristen Walker or Kirsten. What's her name? Kristen Walker. Welker and Peter Alexander are sharing it. Um, at CNN, it's it's um, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Caitlin Collins. Yeah. So she's now the, the chief White House correspondent. It's change. It changes all the time. Fox. It seems that their new White House correspondent is Peter Ducey. I know. I thought it was pronounced douchey, too, but I guess it's pronounced Ducey. And the other thing, if the name sounds familiar, it's because his daddy is one of the co-hosts of Fox and Fiends, the morning show on the Fox Not News channel. And and Peter Ducey um, keeps asking. He did it. He did it to Joe Biden, too. He keeps trying to ask these gotcha questions. So this is um, is this him asking here? Here he's trying to ask. He tried the other day when I watched one of the. Um, one of the uh, press briefings, and he did it again today, tries to give her a gotcha question. I got to tell you, Jen Psaki, she's good. Uh, okay, go ahead. If the whole point of impeaching somebody is basically to get rid of them, and Trump is already gone, would President Biden support maybe the Senate censuring him just so that lawmakers can move on? With That's the not business? how it works. I really appreciate your creative way of asking this question, which has come up a few times in here. Uh, the president is uh, was in the Senate for 36 years, as you all know. Uh, he is no longer in the Senate, and he will leave it up to members of the Senate, Democrats and Republicans, to determine how they will hold the former president accountable uh she wasn't going to be she what she she did it the other day when i watched he is trying his best to goad her as he did with joe biden and why biden took his question today i don't know but he did he actually stayed for an extra question just to appease the fox moron uh, wait, 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 wait. I, I know he always asks me tough questions. He always has an edge to them, but I like him anyway. So go ahead and answer, answer, ask the question. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, so you just said that you think within three weeks or so we'll be at the point where there are a million vaccines per day. But it seems like no, I think we'll get there before that. I said I hope I misspoke. I hope we'll be able to increase as we go on till we get to the million five a day. That's my my hope. And then my the follow up to that would be uh, now that you're president and you're saying there is nothing we can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months. What happened to two months ago when you were talking? This is just about unbelievable. To shut down oh the virus. Well, I'm going to shut down the virus, but not. I never said I'd do it in two months. I said it took a long time to get here. It's going to take a long time to beat it. And so we have millions of people out there who are who have the virus. We're just for the first day, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I've been doing other things this morning, speaking <laughs> yeah, to foreign yeah. leaders. But one of the things I think this is one of the first days that the numbers actually come down, the number of deaths and the number on a daily basis and the number of hospitalizations, et cetera. It's going to take time. It's going to take a heck of a lot of time. And we still have, as Dr. Fauci constantly points out, it's one thing when we have mass how can I say it politely? Mass politely. disregard of the warnings about not wearing masks and wearing masks and and social distancing and failure to social distance and people getting together on Uh-oh. holidays in ways that weren't recommended, etc. We see first thing that happens is we see the uh, the number of infections go up. Then you see the hospitalizations go up. Then you see the deaths go up. 
And so we're we're in this for a while. I mean, we're, what are we now? At about 410,000 deaths? And there's going to be more. The prediction, as I said from the very beginning to getting here, as after being sworn in, was the predictions were we're going to see somewhere between a total of 600,000 and 660,000 deaths before we begin to turn the corner in a major way. Yeah, it's 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 terrifying when you think about it. But this Peter Douchey guy, really, I mean, the name fits. What a fucking douche. Um, Did he ever ask Donald Trump, when are you going to even care about the fact that over 400,000 Americans have died? When are you going to care about working to get us? Sorry, my blood pressure is going up. Trump is gone. And Fox is going to put a moron in there. That's how they do it. There is other news. Um, And we'll talk with with, uh, Jeff Hauser about a lot of these things when he joins us in just a few minutes. But let me tell you very briefly some other things that happened since I started recording uh, what's news very early this morning. Um, uh, 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 Senator Rob Portman of Ohio will not be a senator much longer. He said he will not be running again. Uh, So there's that Senate, a Republican open seat in Ohio. Um, Sarah Huckabee S. (laughs) We thought we were done with her right now. She's running for governor of Arkansas. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah. Um, What else? Dominion, the voting machine company, is suing Rudy Giuliani for one point three billion dollars. Oh, I have some leftover business from last week, and I'm sorry. But this picture Sorry for those of you um, watching on the YouTube. You'll see it for anyone else. It's the it's the photo that I talked about on Friday of the alleged uh, Trump motorcade that that drove the motorcycles that drove in the formation of a penis. That didn't happen. That 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 I got I got punked. Snope said not real. And actually, that first surfaced back in um, 2017. So it was funny, but it's not true. So I am sorry. I was wrong on Friday. That did not happen. Something that did happen today, though, is uh, Joe Biden repealed Donald Trump's ban on transgender military service. So um, those things are going to keep happening one after another. Um, And um, yeah, keep going, Joe. There's lots of them. Keep going. Is there anything else I need to tell you about? There's other stuff that I will talk to. Oh, the impeachment. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts is not going to preside over the impeachment trial in the Senate, which I don't understand how he cannot. So then it goes to the Senate pro tem, the Senate president pro tem, I think is what it's called. And that is Senator Patrick Leahy. Now, I like Senator Leahy. It's just he's about 300 years old and he speaks that way, too. So if you think thought we were gonna get through a uh, an impeachment trial quickly this could slow it down we'll take a quick break we'll check in with our friend lauren mayer and then come back on the other side and talk to jeff hauser of the revolving door project but i could use a giggle how about you Four stressful years full of angst and nail biting. There's an end to all our fears. Thanks to kindly Uncle Joe. How refreshing to know someone sane is in charge now. Sure, the bar is really low, but at least we can all. Joe makes decency an art And the team he's assembled Is experienced and smart And remarkably diverse When I wake up at four Instead of obsessively scrolling through Twitter To see what incompetence, corruption, and disasters are in store I can just put away my phone After all we've 
pinch me did our dreams finally come true i mean the good ones not the horrible dystopian nightmares <laughs> there was no last minute surprise like in fatal attraction so now i can close my eyes and catch up on four years of lousy Nicole Sandler's show is 100% listener-supported. Have you given yet? Nicole decided not to put her show behind a paywall, knowing that many can't afford the luxury of paying for a podcast. But if you're able to, she needs your financial support to continue doing this. Consider a monthly subscription. Give when you can. Just visit NicoleSandler.com slash donate. Remember, she can't do this without you. All right. I am back, and I believe our guest is here, too. I just have to get his... uh, Here we go. Boy, I love it when things work out the way they're supposed to. Jeff Hauser, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for being here. Uh, oh, d- d- my pleasure. Um, for those who don't weren't here last time or don't recall, Jeff Hauser is the executive director of the Revolving Door Project. As I mentioned earlier, that's a division of the Center for Economic and Policy Research. Is that what CEPR stands for? I couldn't remember the R. I wasn't positive about the R. Um, and you can find them at therevolvingdoorproject.org. Um, and uh, except on the thing, it says Ort. I have to figure fix that. And um, uh, on Twitter at Revolving Door DC. Um, so explain, Jeff, if you would. I mean, I, am I right in calling you guys a, a watchdog group? Is that yeah? A- we pay attention to the executive branch. Um, in short, we think a lot of progressives are veterans at paying attention to Congress. But the power that is spread across the executive branch, I think, has been scrutinized less frequently by progressives. And so we try to play that role. Great. And when we spoke last time, it was as Biden was just putting together his picks for a cabinet. And um, there were still it was maybe halfway there. Um, And um, some you thought were good picks, some not so much. Uh, and and that's how it goes um, on the uh, uh, on the as a whole. Are you more pleased or more uh, trepidatious about about his cabinet? I mean, there are better days and worse days. I would say overall, I am um, pretty pleasantly surprised by how responsive the Biden team seems to be to progressive scrutiny. Um, some of the people we were most disappointed by are spending a lot of time and effort trying to um, mend uh, their breach with progressives. And we appreciate that. So that kind of mitigates some of the disquiet we may have felt when, which is considerable when Tom Vilsack uh, became secretary of agriculture as he had 12 years ago um, and named uh, such by president Obama. Uh, this time he is trying to make amends with the black community, uh, with people who are opposed to big ag. And so even when we're disappointed in the nominee, we are at least seeing some uh, effort to reach out to progressives. So that's encouraging. Well, it, 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 let me start. Well, you know what? I want to get to specifics, but I will do that in a minute. But first, I want to ask you about some news that broke this morning. Um, that's kind of... <laughs> disconcerting. I guess Trump's Supreme Court didn't help him to steal the election and overturn the will of the people and keep him in power. Uh, But today they gave him a pretty big win when they um, they they threw out um, the two uh, two cases dealing with the emoluments clause, saying that it's a moot. It's moot now because Trump's out of office. That's a big problem, isn't it? Yeah, we have a broad problem that we have protections written into the Constitution, but no practical way to enforce them. Uh, This is a systemic issue in law. Um, The courts often use what they call justiciability doctrine, which is basically just a fancy doctrine for 
judges deciding what cases they don't want to have to decide uh-huh. so that they can penalize the type of people who might bring those lawsuits. Um, and so what we basically found out is that court, Republican judges could slow down cases against Donald Trump. And now they're saying they're moot because he's no longer president. But the only reason they got moot, if you even def- defend that statement or that uh, conclusion, is because the courts slow rolled um, necessary me- uh, measures to enforce a uh, very clear statute, is clear language in the Constitution. Right. So this goes along with and, 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 and it sort of goes along with the, the the arguments they're making against this impeachment trial in the Senate, saying that he's out of office. What, why are you going to impeach him? Just censure him. Um, he's already gone. It's moot. Well, that would say then if, if you go along with that, then any sitting president in his last few months in office can have a free for all and do break whatever laws he wants, do whatever he wants, because once he's out of office, he can't be held accountable for what he did while in office. Uh, exactly. And it also gives senators the ability to duck deciding on the merits. I mean, that's no one. Th- there is precedent that you can um, convict uh, an impeached official who's no longer in office. Like that is not actually a close question legally. It is a fake argument being made politically so that pro-Trump senators can pretend to not be pro-Trump on the merits to the media or to corporate donors who are a little queasy with Trump. So they're, they're trying to have it both ways. They're trying to, on substance, claim, oh, Trump did something wrong, but say on process, we're not going to do anything about Trump. So they're trying to have it both ways, and it's up to everyone else who believes in the rule of law to not let them get away with it. Now, the Revolving Door Project, obviously you're here, but we've got the new administration in, you're, and you are... Uh, you come from a progressive political viewpoint. Um, and so we're we're concentrating on Biden because that's what's coming ahead of us. But let me just ask you, for the last four years, you guys kept busy um, <laughs> being a watchdog over Trump. What was that like? I mean, it, it was dizzying. The degree of corruption that we could help people uncover was incredible. But I think we should all have the humility to realize that many of the biggest scandals of the Trump administration are yet to be discovered. Mm -hmm. I think that is the story I hear both directly and indirectly from the Biden people, as well as reading, you know, just in the newspaper, people getting launched into government, they're finding a mess. It's a disaster. The federal government's capacity to fulfill its mission on behalf of us, the American people, has been devastated by Trump. I mean, there had been a long-term erosion as um, pro-corporate, anti-government forces have had too much power for many decades. But what Trump did is, like, puts that put that uh, tendency on steroids. And I don't think we know the totality of the corrupt deals that Trump and his minions have made with rich people, both in America or abroad. I mean, I think there are increasing indications that the United Arab Emirates and Saudi mm-hmm. royal families have made out like bandits as well. I, w- I wouldn't doubt it. And and what you're saying is so true. I mean, just look at what we learned over the weekend. We know that Trump was trying to pull something. But now what we learned is over New Year's weekend, when he rushed back to D.C., he didn't stay at Mar-a-Lago for his big New Year's party. Well, that's because he was trying. He was he was thinking about jettisoning his acting attorney general in favor of putting in place a, another a civic. Uh, attorney at the DOJ who he found out was a sympathizer of his in place to make Georgia reverse the, the their their election results. I mean, what he was planning to do was insane. And now we know that's why he went back from Florida to D.C. because he had this plan. And it wasn't until basically everyone else at the DOJ said, you do this, we all leave. That stopped him. I, and we we just now learned of that this weekend from the New York Times. Yeah. Yeah, it's the and, and honestly, DOJ is slightly more difficult to roll because there are enough people there who have professional reputations they're seeking to maintain and they're going to have to deal at some point with civil society. Like, And I mean, I don't know if that's as true among the political appointees at some of the other department. So this is really, really bad. Like I not anyway want to dispel it, but we don't know what he got away with in terms of corporate favors and the like outside of the DOJ. 
Um, but I mean, we have learned that the equal justice under law, no one takes it seriously. No one thinks that it's true in this country. Everyone knows that like Black Lives Matter protesters are treated extremely differently than Capitol Hill insurrectionists. Yep. Uh, and that is goes even more for uh, Republican elected officials. And that's why it's probably the most important set of appointments by Biden is who he puts in place at the Justice Department. Because if we are going to return to being a, a country that has rule of law and equal justice under law, we're going to have to start seeing some prosecutions for this sort of criminal conduct that uh, Trump and his team engaged in. Exactly. So then, Jeff Hauser, when we spoke last, we were still speculating on who Biden would nominate for attorney general. Um, you expressed hope that it would be Sherilyn Eiffel, which would have been just an amazing choice. Um, but it looked like it was down to Doug Jones, former senator from Alabama and um, uh, Duval Patrick or some other. People. It was like, OK. And then out of left field, he comes up with Merrick Garland. Uh <laughs> What, what are your thoughts on Merrick Garland as attorney general? I mean, he is a very curious choice. Yes. I mean, <laughs> my suspicion choice. is that there are sets of decisions going forward that Biden believes his attorney general is going to have to make, which are going to be controversial. And the fact that Garland, by virtue of being a smart serious and extremely conservative by Democratic appointee standards mm -hmm. judge, who is also the type of person who goes to tons of Georgetown cocktail parties and the like, and is known by every important person who's long-wielded power in Washington, that if Garland says, like, we have to prosecute Trump or we're not going to some crazy theory about Hunter Biden is not accurate, that Garland will have a degree of credibility that not even an amiable uh, Southern Democratic senator like Doug Jones would have, let alone, you know, somebody who is a higher energy, more progressive figure like a Sherilyn Eiffel would have been. Mm -hmm. um, that's obviously not my preference, whether or not this will actually make any Justice Department decisions safer from Republican anger. I mean, I am deeply skeptical that anyone cares about Garland's judicial record in the Republican world. Like, I, I think they just treat all Democrats the same, um, even those who are, as I said, like almost incomprehensibly to the far right of Democratic Party. I mean, like, He's not a Republican. No, Garland but, does not have a record of a Republican, but he's about as conservative a circuit court nominee you'd find in a place like D.C. So, right, which is just to just to backtrack a minute. Uh, in my belief, the reason that Obama picked him and it just showed the weakness in Obama's governing style. He he kept thinking that the Republicans are going to play ball with me. I'm going to nominate somebody that they'll like the most conservative Democrats. So so he's he's you know, he's equally offensive or. Uh, acceptable to both sides. Well, of course that didn't happen because Mitch McConnell said, fuck you. We're not even having hearings on the guy. I'm not even going to let any of my senators meet with him. You got 10 months left. Sorry, you're a lame duck. I'm not I'm not confirming your guy. And Obama did nothing. I'm sorry. Uh, at that point, that's when he should have played hardball and said, OK, Mitch McConnell, Kentucky wants money for a new dam or something you get nothing he could have learned something from donald trump here i hate to say that but he could have and so now i figured joe biden was doing this as a kind of a fuck you to mitch mcconnell but i don't think mitch mcconnell cares like it's not like mitch mcconnell the whole point is that merrick garland's irrelevant yep. the real um way to undermine mcconnell is to put somebody in place who might look into, I mean, first of all, McConnell has huge vulnerabilities that a normal Justice Department, and we haven't had one in decades, would have looked into. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Elaine Chow's family business uh, is literally shipping things to and from China. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and like, there's a lot of interesting questions. The New York Times covered it, but it's been covered by the New Republic in 2001, the stories. And there's so like hardball and I don't actually think Biden should say, hey, this look at this New York Times article, go investigate it to the Justice Department. Right. I no, he can't. Right. no matter like that, that would not be proper. But 
going the opposite direction of putting up a moderate in order to earn points is just really Stupid. 20th century thinking. Yeah. Bad thinking because it doesn't work. That was so. Yeah. So there's that. So I guess we wait and see. I mean, hopefully he's a good lawyer and hopefully he'll be on the right side of history. I, I guess it's a big question mark. I mean, I think that the main hope I have is that Garland is a smart guy who believes like many smart lawyers do in process. And so that means he's going to manage some of the big picture issues facing the uh, Justice Department, but that he's going to meaningfully delegate all sorts of decisions. And so his ideological tendencies are going to be less important than the tendencies of the people installed on the different programmatic areas, be it white collar criminal um, or civil rights or antitrust or tax or energy and uh, environmental protection. I mean, there's an enormous swath of issues in front of the Justice Department. And so we have to hope it's not really up to Garland's ideology. Uh, Let's hope. Um, You tweeted something early this morning. You actually tweeted in uh, response to something that uh, 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 one of the reporters at CNN wrote, uh, Shimon Procopia, said the DOJ Office of the Inspector General is initiating an investigation into whether any former or current DOJ official engaged in an improper attempt to have DOJ seek to alter the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Um, I, you said that's a welcome development. De-Trumpification is imperative, as is accountability. Um, is this another avenue to go parallel to impeachment or is this? It, it, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, my, my approach to these issues is always both and rather than like, what is our top priority? I mean, we should do all of it. The inspector general is by the nature of that position independent of the Biden administration. Um, any reasonable person in that job would investigate based off of yeah. the publicly known facts. Um, And I think it's great that that's happening. Um, We do have a general fear. There are a lot of vacancies for inspector general, um, inspectors general, and we hope that those are filled uh, in an expeditious manner and that we don't allow Mitch McConnell to frustrate, to use four-time games to prevent these sort of jobs from being filled by qualified people. Mm -hmm. I hope that, I mean, we know that Trump fired some inspectors general, um, after he got acquitted by the Senate on impeachment number one, he uh, fired the inspector general who kind of set that off in the first place. And then over the next couple months, fired three or four more. Um, so I'm a little worried about some of the people who survived that purge. But I've been assured by people I trust that several of the people remaining are the traditional independent inspectors general. And like that's an important institution, the inspector mm-hmm. general. That's the person within each uh, department whose job it is to root out any corruption and law breaking. Um, and so hopefully, like we can have a functioning inspector general system. I don't think that means Congress and the rest of the Biden administration are off the hooks right. in terms of looking into what went wrong under Trump. But it's good to have them there. Right. I mean, these are the, the, the checks and balances allegedly in place to, to protect us and, and to uh, serve as uh, watchdogs over the over the government. Um, another issue that I was wondering when it was going to come up, um, because we all experienced the post office inefficiencies during election season and over the holidays. Well, it's still going on because I ordered something three weeks ago that should have taken three to five days to get here. And it took over three weeks. It finally came yesterday after I filed two complaints with the post office. And and the first time they told me, Oh, it's at the post office. It's there. The, the, this, um, uh, this issue has been resolved. It's like, no, it hasn't been resolved. And then I couldn't even get through to anybody. So Congressman Bill Pascrell of New Jersey today said that he's calling on president Biden to fire the entire Postal Board of Governors for their silence and complicity in Trump and DeJoy's attempts to subvert the election and destroy the post office. And um, uh, uh, what about the post office uh, postmaster general? Is this something that or is it just not there with Joe Biden has so many things at him right now that it's going to wait? Um, what What is the urgency here? Is there any urgency here? Um, <clears throat> well, there is urgency because. 
the post office is run by a nine-person board of governors, which in turn chooses the postmaster general. Trump managed to impose, um, they hired a search firm um, for an opening this past summer. And, or, I mean, I'm sorry, I think it was 2019, but they hired a search firm. Uh, Detroit's name did not come up. Mnookin got him added in, and so they went around their own process. They had 30 candidates identified by the search firm. They went around all 30, inserted DeJoy, and DeJoy was quite clearly seeking to undermine the effectiveness of the Postal Service. And clearly the the Republicans on the uh, Board of Governors aided, abetted, and likely to some extent participated, although I don't literally know that to be true. Mm-hmm. But I mean, based off of what they knew and when they knew it, the reasonable inference is that they did not do their job. They have what's called for-cause removal protection, which means to show you need to show that they, they're, they engaged in serious misconduct in office. I, like Pascrell, my assumption is that's not that hard a case to mm-hmm. be made. Um, there's a whole complicated legal issue where basically Republican judges tend to think you can fire for cause really easily on these agencies and Democrats don't. Hmm. I wouldn't mind a test case to get conservative justices to have to decide one way or the other what those four cause removal mean so that they can clarify it now so that if and when there's a if they deny Biden's ability to make the firings now, hopefully that would we've insulated some people in a future Republican presidency by establishing a recent uh, precedent on the issue. Um, I mean, a lot of the issue can be addressed by getting three more Democrats onto the board, which can happen. I mean, it's just that requires a bunch of floor time for each and every one of those votes. Right now, the floor of the Senate is a mess because the <laughs> oh my God. Uh, McConnell is not ceding control of the institution. We also will have an impeachment trial, a COVID bill, and all sorts of other nominations. And so when are we going to get to Democratic control of the Board of Governors of the Postal Service? I'm worried that it might be months. Oh, and so it's an idea like pass girls is something I would hope Biden administration would take seriously. I'm worried that they will not because it would genuinely be a bold step by them to fire somebody for cause, even if, and like, even though the, you know, we think the case is likely to be a very strong one, it would be a bold step. And I'm worried that they don't quite have that uh, gumption right now. Does Biden not have the ability to just fire because he wants to replace the They have this four cause removal. Oh. So like when when you take over uh, Mnuchin or DeVos or Ben Carson or. Uh, acting Attorney General Rosen, those people, like, it's a snap of the fingers to... Their cabinet uh, positions. They do not have any uh, protection. The Postal Service Board of Governors has protection, and it's their decision whether or not to fire DeJoy. Um, So it is, it's genuinely a tougher choice. It's not, I'm not saying it's an easy choice for Biden to follow Pascrell's lead, um, I think Pascal's lead is the correct one, but it, it is not a simple thing to do. Wow. It's not like how when Biden fired the National Labor Relations Board general counsel, yeah. who's a union buster, that he clearly could do. It violated a norm, but it was unambiguous that he could do so. And it was terrific that he, in fact, did so. Yes, because that was somebody that Trump put in there, like at the last minute, I guess, to to, to derail Biden, to to try to sabotage him. Is that the, am I well, that about guy's right actually been general counsel at the NLRB, okay, the National but- Labor Relations Board, for a few years. But he also is like a guy going back to Reagan-era attack on the air traffic controllers. Okay. He's like a original anti-union, union-busting lawyer who's been doing a terrible job. At All right, the- then I'm thinking of somebody else who, who, who they just put in there. But Trump did a lot of that, right, trying to install people at the last minute to derail Biden. And I guess some of them, Biden's having a hard time that he can't get rid of, but the ones he can, he is. He's getting rid of some of those that he can, and then others they are beginning to try to figure out what to do to root out. There's a, a tendency called burrowing. It's been engaged in by both parties, Republicans more than Democrats, but probably Trump more, like most things, Trump more than previous Republicans even. And the full dimensions of the problem are only going to become known over the next several months. Wow. But it is... 
I do think the Biden team is aware of that problem, but burrowing is difficult to address. As the name suggests, it's not like it's not mm-hmm. superficially like just under the surface. It's going in deep. Um, and yeah, it's a real challenge. The Biden administration, <laughs> they do not have easy jobs. So even when no. I'm critical of them, I do want to acknowledge like, the job they are facing is ridiculously difficult. Oh, I bet. Um, I wanted to ask about uh, labor because we were talking that's the labor secretary was the position that Bernie Sanders wanted and probably would have been great at, but he admitted Senate's 50-50, you can't take the chance that the governor, who is a Republican, would replace him with a Republican. So he agreed he'll stay in the Senate. He'll be the chairman of the Senate Budget Committee. Um, so so Biden um, uh, announced Marty Walsh, Boston mayor, as labor secretary, which I, I, I know he's an affable guy. Everything I know about him, I kind of like, but I don't know much about him for labor secretary. But... The California Labor Secretary, Julie Sue was just uh, just accepted Biden's offer to be the U.S. Deputy Labor Secretary. And that's one worth celebrating. Uh, yes. I mean, both on its own merits that uh, Julie Sue is excellent, but also my understanding had been that she was going to be reluctant to mm. take the number two position because yeah, she um, should have had the same. She was not in a position of need. She's not somebody who needed a job. She was running labor in California, which is quite the sizable and important job. Um, and so the fact that she came in is consistent with some other things I've been hearing about um, uh, Secretary to be Walsh and the team he's surrounding himself, which which is that they really are an excellent big Good. tent approach to labor. He comes out of the building trades. Julie Sue's background is more with like less unionized workers, immigrant workers. Mm-hmm. And like Walsh does seem to be able to run a uh, big tent department. And I assume that the conversations between Sue and Walsh were pretty serious. Um, and uh, Sue felt comfortable that she was not going to be go there and be sidelined. Um, and I think that like that speaks very well of Walsh, that you would bring in somebody who'd been your competitor for the job to be your number two. That reflects a certain self-confidence as well as a coalition building, which is encouraging. Right. No, everything I've known about Marty Walsh, I like. I don't know a whole lot about him, but he seems okay from first blush anyway. Um, We've only got like a minute or two left. Jeff Hauser, executive director of Revolving Door Project. Are there any um, appointments that you particularly like or are particularly not happy about that we should know about uh, to keep our eyes on? Yeah, so we're following the financial regulatory appointments very closely. We've been very happy that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the Securities and Exchange Commission, excellent, excellent people that make business, uh, bankers very scared have gotten those jobs. We There's a lot of us who are raising concerns about uh, the putative front runner for the control of the currency, which mm. sounds like it's about writing, you know, the printing of bills, but right. it's really about regulating banks and deciding whether or not fintech which is basically if Silicon Valley and Wall Street had a child, it would be fintech. Okay. You shouldn't trust it like you don't trust its parents. Um, we're, we're worried about Michael Barr getting that. And we're also worried about fintech more generally getting potentially jobs across the administration. They hired a ton of Obama alumni and they're seeking to like get their people back into power. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of good news, but there's also a lot to remain vigilant about. Wow. All right. So and, you know, with the impeachment and the stuff, I, I didn't even get into the, the 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 weeds with you on the Mitch McConnell filibustering the rules thing because you deal with the executive branch mostly. And this is this is a this is a legislative branch thing. But it's it's bad. The fact that they won't even agree on the rules. Mitch McConnell is just being Mitch McConnell. Nothing's nothing's different frontier. Yeah. And what we need pressure on Manchin and cinema to recognize the reality of the moment and to not be afraid to wield power, which is what a bold and united uh, Democratic majority could be exercising if they had the will to take on the filibuster. They're not there yet, but I think uh, anyone in West Virginia or Arizona might wish to make their thoughts uh, known to their senators. Yeah, I have a quote from Cinema uh, from somebody in her office basically saying, uh, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but she's not in favor of eliminating the filibuster. And she doesn't expect her position to change. Kirsten Cinema is the worst, to quote Howie Klein, who's here with me every Thursday, the worst senator in the U.S. Senate. She's worse. She's more 
uh, right-leaning than Joe Manchin, which is saying a lot. We're going to have trouble with her, I think. Uh, For sure. I mean, she was on the House Financial Services Committee. She was definitely a uh, senator from Wall Street. I'm sorry, a member of Congress from Wall Street when she served on the House Financial Services Committee. So she's sort of long been a burr in the saddle. Uh, Arizona. Get on the phones and start working. Jeff Hauser, thank you so much. I, I so appreciate your input, your wealth of information. And it's great because there's so much happening right now. It's hard to keep a handle on all of it. People can find you at therevolvingdoorproject.org, on Twitter at Jeff Hauser, H-A-U-S-E-R. And uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate your fun. time. Thanks. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, and that's it. We're done for the day. Uh, tomorrow's Tuesday. Got a laugh. We'll be here. Lots of stuff to talk about, but we'll have some laughs. Because it's, you know, laughy. Um, <laughs> and let's go back to celebrating. There are dogs in the White House again. All right, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. <laughs>